Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Um, before we get started today, we always get new listeners, so I always like to tell people a little bit about us so that they have some background. Um, bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms that shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia that we can go ahead and remove some of the stigmas attached to memory loss and help people live a better, more purpose-filled life. We also believe that at our core, collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle. And I know that's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, and your shares have had a new, huge impact on raising Alzheimer's Speaks profile. And by sharing our information um, you got us awarded with the number one influencer as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. Um, Maria Shriver also picked up on us and called us an arch- architect of change for humanity. So I really want to thank you for that because none of that would have happened without you. And all of us um, have these spheres of influence, and we forget that there's a lot of people out there that are dealing with dementia that just haven't, you know, come public yet. And I am a true believer that the more information that we can have in front of people, um, the more comfortable they're going to feel grabbing it when they need to. I'd also like to invite you to be a guest um, on our show. Um, We interview everybody here. We think everyone's voice is important and that we need to respect everyone's opinion. So, We have interviewed people with, lots of people with dementia, uh, family and friends that are dealing with a loved one, business professionals, uh, large and small companies and organizations, advocates, movie directors, um, authors, singer-songwriters, you name it. Um, We we would love to hear your thoughts and your perspectives on dementia and how we can make the world a better place with it. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, along with Move for Minds, which is an event that uh, Maria Shriver puts on annually, and a company called the, um, the Call Alert Center, which is great if people are wandering. Now, today, um, we are going to be hearing um, from Carol Whitlatch, and my co-host is um, going to be Craig Hankey, who lives with dementia. So I'm going to have Craig go ahead and introduce himself, tell tell people a little bit about his diagnosis, and then uh, then I'll introduce Carol. So Craig, it's in your hands. Okay. Um, 58 years old. I was diagnosed at age 55 with Lewy body dementia and Parkinsonism symptoms. Um, suffered from hallucinations, REM sleep disorder, um, and night terrors. Wow, that's a handful. 
that's a handful that you're dealing with. I I so appreciate you joining us today, Craig, because I think the voice of people with dementia needs to be raised, and, and we really need to respectfully listen to their wisdom and insights that they have. So thank you for taking this next hour uh, to spend with us here at Alzheimer's Speaks. Um, next, I'm going to introduce uh, Carol Whitlatch. Um, who is the Assistant Director of Research and Education and Senior Research Scientist at the Benjamin Rose Institute on Aging. And for over 25 years now, Dr. Whitlatch has studied a variety of topics related to family caregiving, including developing and evaluating intervention programs, including the SHARE program, which stands for Support, Health, Activities, Resources, and Education. I love that the SHARE program, Mm. and also um, choice and decision-making in um, caregiver and care receiver dyads. And um, she is also working with um, the autonomy and functioning in the um, African-American caregiver family, which I think is really important. Um, Last, I just want to mention that um, Dr. Whitlatch is also an adjunct associate professor at the Case Western Reserve University's Department of Sociology, where she has served from 1997 to 2012 and as an adjunct uh, professor at Madeline School of Applied uh, Social Sciences. So welcome. Welcome, Dr. Whitlatch. How are you today? Thank you, Lori, for having me. I'm doing just great. Craig, thank you also for joining us. You add a richness to this discussion that's um, not complete without you. So thanks so much for joining us today as well. Well, great. Um, let's go ahead and start first, uh, Dr. Whitlatch, with, you know, explain to us exactly what SHARE is. I had mentioned that SHARE stands for the Support Health Activities Resources and Education, but where does it go from there? That's the title. So what's what's the guts of the program here? So, Laura, if I could go back a few years, actually a few decades, if I might, to talk a little bit about the origin of the program and how we got to where we are today. So, would that be okay with you? Oh, sure. Craig? Great. So actually, almost over 20 years now, there's been a discussion around different service providers. And back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of programs that helped persons with chronic illnesses, with dementia, with Alzheimer's, and there were also programs who worked just with a family caregiver. But what was unfortunate that we've tried to, to remedy since then is that these programs did not come together. They didn't have caregivers working with persons with their illness. One was, one was working in one group, one was working in another group, so they didn't really do much talking together, at least in a structured way with an intervention. So we decided, well, let's talk to some of these families and see what kind of issues they have that might be helped by working with their, their loved one. So we asked persons with dementia what they wanted for their care, how they, how they preferred to be cared for, who they wanted to have help them, what physicians to help them, et cetera, really about themselves and what they preferred. And then we asked their family member, their carer or caregiver, what they thought their relative would want for their care. And we found some interesting findings. I'm not sure if either of you want to make a guess here, but the answer quickly is that the persons with dementia had very strong opinions of how they wanted to be cared for, their care preferences, and also what they valued for their care, their care values. And the persons who were caring for them, their loved ones and family members, had a, a general sense of what was important but not a real specific sense. So we thought, hmm, this might be a place where we could have discussions that really help both members of that care dyad, as we call them, really understand each other, 
So that's where SHARE sort of started. Many of the families who we interviewed from our research project said, you know, I've got to talk about this with my loved one. I'm not sure if I know all the answers to this. And so that really was what prompted us. This is really a grassroots-based intervention that we created. So what we did is we took the families and we brought them together, um, and they, they meet at home with a family specialist, their SHARE counselor, and they talk about these things, what's important to them. They talk about what they want for their care, what the relative wants, what the caregiver can provide. And we find that they come to a greater sense of acknowledgement, a better sense of how they want to be treated and what to expect in the future. We also give them education about the disease, what to expect, what other people have seen, what other people have gone through. And that really leaves a great deal of stress for both the person with, who's living with dementia as well as their family member because they understand what they want and the caregiver is able to speak then for their relative if, they, if there comes a time when they cannot speak on their own. And that gives persons with dementia, we've found, great ease. Um, there, there can be some challenges to the discussions that everybody's through. Um, as you all know, persons with dementia have very strong opinions and these opinions last for a few years. So it's not as if they're changing their minds every minute about how they want to be treated. They're fairly specific about how they want to be treated. And that's what SHARE gets to. The SHARE program from Benjamin Rose then really helps families understand each other, plan for the future so that now they can live with much more ease to know that their future is, is well cared for and well understood. So that's sort of in a nutshell of how we've gotten to where we are now. And SHARE has really helped many families, actually over 500 uh, care dyads, to really help understand each other and to make good change for the future. Okay. So that's kind of a lot for an introduction to it, but let me just see if you have questions about it before I give some other thoughts. Sure. Craig, do you have any questions at all? Um, I noticed when you introduced Carol that uh, you said something about um, um, black families. And I was just wondering if there's a um, there's any percentages of blacks versus whites or any other race that have dementia. I, I have to say I don't know the figures um, specifically at this point. I know that it's um, dementia and Alzheimer's, Lewy bodies as well, fairly far-reaching. Um, African American families are as likely to get it um, as any other ethnicity or racial group. Um, so it's widespread, um, millions of people, regardless of their background. Does that answer your question, Craig? Yes. Say, Carol, do you? I'm going to interrupt. Um, I'm going to interrupt just a second, Craig. Carol, do you by chance have another phone number? You're kind of cutting in and out. Um, oh goodness. Um, I wonder if it's the background stuff. Let me see. Um, let me see if I can get you on my cell. Do you want to try calling my cell, Lori? Yep. Why don't we do that, and then we can pick up where we where we left off and just edit in. I think sure. that'd be fine. Okay. Hello. Okay. That sounds Is that like... any better? Yep. Yep, I think so. I think so. So we can go mm -hmm. ahead and, and pick up where we were at. Um, Craig was asking about Afri African Americans and if you had any statistics on that. And you said that you didn't, and I don't offhand on that either. Um, okay. But it's definitely um, it's definitely a group that, that needs to be addressed because we know... Um, we know they're out there, um, but pulling them into support and stuff has, has been a little bit difficult um, for many organizations. Craig, do you remember you were going to ask another question, and I cut you off, and I should have asked you 
what that question was before I did that. Um, yes, I think it's very important that caregivers know what we as care receivers need. Um, I think living wills are very important in that, in that situation because there's definitely certain things that I don't want once I get to a certain stage. Um, when I don't remember my name or other people's names around me, um, I don't want any kind of life support systems put in place. Um, so I think living wills are very important to have. That spells everything out in detail what you want to have done with your life once you get to the final stages. Yep. Now, um, Dr. Whitlatch, with SHARE, is it really all about having these conversations and getting people to talk about uh, their wishes? Exactly what it is. Yep, it's absolutely. It's it's very structured, though. It's not just any questions, that, you know, it's very specific questions. For example, who, what doctors do you want to have care for you? Um, what family members do you want to have care for you? What family members do you not want to have care for you? Because, you know, there is that support that people offer that sometimes doesn't really hit the mark right. It's so you, you have thoughts about who you want to have care for you. We even ask questions about relocation and moving to facility or to some place, another home, another apartment that has um, some type of support for you, either meals or housekeeping, all different kinds of things, really, from the beginning and the early diagnosis, we talk about that, as well as have people project out to their future, really to talk about what they value for their care and what they think is important and what they hope their family member who's caring for them can provide for them. So mm-hmm. it's about discussions, it's about definitely understanding each other's preferences and what the caregiver is able to do. Okay, great. Um, can you tell us a little bit more on, you, you've kind of shared with us uh, why it was developed and, you know, you've addressed some of the needs, but how exactly does the program work? Is this a, is it a one-on-one? Is it, is it classes? Is it an app? Is it all, is it, you know, able to be shared on all of the above? Um, what does it look like? A little bit of all of that, but not everything. So I can tell you specifically. Let me tell you about some of the more most important parts of it. Um, first of all, the, the, the SHARE counselor is very well trained. They go through an online program that uh, is about 9 to 12 hours, depending on you know what they need. Um, so they're well trained, um, and they work with a family, typically in the family's home, although some of our sites have families come into the organization. But typically how we've done it in the past is that the SHARE counselor comes to the family's home, and they talk with each person together, and then they get a little bit of separate time. So each person, the person with, with the, uh, the diagnosis as well as the caregiver, speaks separately with the counselor just to get some issues out in the open that might be a little sensitive. And they come back together. You know, as, as I said, there's um, time for them to speak together and separately. They have five sessions that they do this with their shared counselor they're involved with. They have an optional family session as well. Over the years, many of our shared families said, I need to talk to all our families, not just my family caregiver. So we listened to that and really decided that it was best if there was one session where the whole family could get together if the family wanted to, um, and the shared counselor could guide that discussion. And that's really important because for those family members to see what the family, what their you know, possibly mom and dad have been talking about really helps them understand what they'll need to be doing in the future. So it really opens up that communication. So again, five sessions with their counselor, a possible family session as well. And there's two aspects of this intervention that are very unique but very um, useful. 
One of them is about care values. And so the person with, with the diagnosis talks about their care values, what's important to them as far as autonomy and independence, help from family and friends, social engagements, safety, et cetera. And we have, there's a ranking that we can do with that so that you can see what's most important to someone. So for Craig, maybe being independent is more important than you know, being, having a, a choice in who cares for you. Um, and that's, we have this discussion so that the family caregiver can see what's important to their relative. And with that information, they can go forward knowing that they remember, you know, they can remember, well, not being a burden to my family was important to Craig or, um, you know, having a say in who helps out was important. And they can make those decisions best on their understanding of their relative care values. So that's the first sort of the foundation for SHARE. And then what we do is we move from there to this discussion around who would you like to help out? So we ask again, we'd ask Craig, for example, you know, who would you like to help you um, maybe making meals or helping with laundry or more personal activities or helping you at night or pretty much anything that might come up for you as you, as, as you face the next stages of your illness. Um, and this works for people with chronic conditions and dementia as well. But then we get a sense of who, Craig, who you might want to help out in these different, different types of activities. And then what we do, which is kind of unique, we have a magnet board or else an iPad app that actually gives three circles. And one circle is caregiver, one circle is for family and friends, and one circle represents paid service providers. And each of those circles then, we put in what task a person with dementia would like to have done by, say, a, a, a sister or a brother or a daughter. And we have these three then, three circles that have little tasks in them, in each of them. And you think, well, hmm, what might those circles look like? What circle is more full or what circle is empty? What would you might think about that? And what we find is that, by and large, pretty much 100%, that caregiver circle is really heavy, really overloaded with tasks that, that the person with dementia wants them to be in charge of. And so when the caregiver sees that, they think, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I know that's what he wants, or I know what, that's what she wants, but with that circle that full, it makes me feel very overwhelmed. And the person with the diagnosis can have empathy to them. You know, I want you to do a lot, but I see that it's just too much, so let's try to get some other people involved. So we have these three circles. Again, the caregiver circle is very packed, very over, really overflowing with tasks that, that everybody knows that they will be doing. And what we create then is a balanced circle diagram. Each circle, we hope, has a more equal number of tasks in it so that you have a much more balanced plan of care and not nearly as overwhelming for that one family caregiver. Let me just stop for a second because I have some other things to talk about regarding the intervention with next, but I wanted to make sure if you have any questions, I can answer them before I move forward. Sure. Craig? Or Craig, even, or Craig maybe your reaction to it. I think it's very important. Um the caregiver, caregiver itself can be overloaded. I know that just from my wife alone. Um, so it would be interesting to know if they could work with those circles and take some of the tasks out and let someone else do certain tasks that the caregiver wouldn't have to do. And that's exactly right. That's exactly what we do. And, and it's, the idea is to have someone who has been diagnosed it's empowering to be able to pick up these magnet pieces and put them in another circle or work with their family caregiver to see what they would be willing to give up. Some caregivers want to do it all, but maybe just giving up four or five tasks is really helpful to them so that they can maybe go exercise or do something that's good for them, just to have a little time to themselves or time to rejuvenate. So it's important. You're absolutely right that caregivers then know that they can have some help if they can. Yep. 
Um, Dr. Whitlatch, I had a question. You had mentioned that there were five counseling sessions and then one one kind of a family session. Um, now, yeah. is this with both the care partner and the person with dementia, or um, are they together through this whole process? Or through is the whole process? Mm-hmm. Yep, through every session. Through every session, both people are in in are being helped and working with their shared counselor. Maybe what I wasn't clear about is there are certain sessions where they they meet separately. So mm-hmm. maybe um, what the caregiver might go into the next room and do some dishes or do something else, but they, there's time separately with each person in that dyad to speak with their shared counselor. Okay. But yes, they are, every, session, every session has both people in it, yep. Okay. And then the way these are set up, um, do these sessions have to be, um, do you have to physically be there, or are you doing any of these virtually now? Not yet. Not yet. We haven't gotten quite to that point yet. Okay. Um, so not yet. That's a, that's a great future for us, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I, I know so many people with um, dementia are really, you know, utilizing Zoom and video conferencing, and they find strong levels of support um, in education through those platforms. And I just um, would highly encourage you guys to, to look into that because I think uh, – I think actually the dementia population is pretty dang savvy when it comes to those platforms. And, you know, they're not scared about it. Um, they're not intimidated by it. Um, but I, I find that they really, it, it really empowers them um, to be um, more included in pieces there. And, and Craig, why don't you throw in, you know, your thoughts on that? Well, what's good about the virtual memory cafes um, is that, you're, you're speaking to people that speak your language. They know what you're talking about when you talk about yeah. you had some night terrors last night that were so scary that you woke up and didn't know if you're still in a night terror in reality or in a dream dream yet. So it's important to have those virtual memory cafes because they said people speak your language. They know what you're talking about when you say certain things. And they can also be um, compassionate towards you mm-hmm. because they know what you're going through. It's, it's absolutely on target, Craig, and it's so helpful because it really combats a lot of the loneliness and that feeling of you're, no one else is going through what you're going through, and it's, that's just not the case. You are not alone. Your caregiver is not alone. There's so many people out there. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Now, um Dr. Whitledge, you had said you had some other things you wanted to cover, and so I think we're yeah. ready to go on to the next next piece that you well, want to share with us. So when you have those three circles, that you've created more of a balanced plan of attack there or a plan of action. Um, then what we do next and share is we talk to the family, bring in that family meeting if, we, if, that, if that's going to happen, and we talk about who can take on some of these tasks. So if you can kind of visualize that caregiver task, there's fewer there, but maybe the family and friend circle is a little more heavy, which is good because you want to get that support for the caregiver. So you say, well, let's see. In, in this circle here, we see that someone is willing to do laundry. And then you might pick someone, a family or friend who could come and do laundry. Or there's someone who lives across country who can't do any of that hands-on stuff. Maybe that person can do the bills or do more instrumental tasks. And maybe someone else, maybe the neighbor next door who loves to cook can bring over extra meals someday. We write down all these examples. We write down phone numbers and contact information. We write down who's going to do it and what exactly that activity will entail. And then the family leaves, of course, and the the caregiver and the person with dementia meet with their shared counselor one more time. 
And they have a very strong, very clear plan of action for them. They know who can help them. They know when they can be helped. And, and everyone's agreed to this. So there's great dialogue around these discussions, around this whole process. And families really get into help. And, and they also can recognize their, their own limitations. So you're not saying that you will do things that you really can't do. Of course, things change. People move. Things can be revived. We had one family actually post their share plan on their refrigerator as a reminder to who was going to help out. Other ones, other families that we've worked with have emailed their share plans so that the family members could look at them and have their own copies. Um, and as you were both kind of suggesting, this would be a great place to include a, a more virtual type of plan that people have access to that they can change as they want as well. So everybody knows what's going on and what to, and what to expect for the future. So again, very empowering, very helpful. And that's where we leave off, and then the family typically might have another organization that they can rely on for the next step in their care. But again, this is for people sort of in the mild to moderate stages of their illness. So um, we get all this information down. We even have a chance to talk about, as I said, relocation, maybe the need for more skilled care. And we find that people are open to talking about this, that what we, we call it the promise. The promise is that many years ago, maybe you promised not to put anyone in a different living situation or move them. But as time, change, as time goes on and the situation changes, there might be more openness to that. So again, we talk about difficult issues, but we have a place where we can really then solve how these difficult and challenging um, tasks can be better cared for. Okay. So that's, that's, that's the SHARE program in a nutshell. And it's, a, it's been very, we've found good outcomes and people, people really enjoy it and, and are, are kind of shocked at how much they liked it when coming in. They weren't quite sure what to expect. I'm sorry, Laura, I think I just cut you off. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to ask, um, you know, because as life is fluid, um, and that doesn't change when someone has dementia, do you recommend that people go back to their three circles and reevaluate if they're feeling out of balance again? Absolutely. That's a perfect, <clears throat> perfect thing we hope they do. Again, with that refrigerator there, uh, with their list, they can certainly revisit whenever they want, but definitely ask that they, they come back and look back at those circles. Maybe things like you just said, Lori, got a little bit imbalanced. We can go back and recreate more balance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that, that I try to do when I'm, you know, out speaking and training is, you know, I haven't found a tool yet for dementia that doesn't, that we can't apply to all of our life. And I think this is another one of those nice tools that is applicable to all of us, you know, to, you know, take a look and go, why am I feeling out of whack here? Why is this uncomfortable? Oh, okay, it's weighted pretty heavy over here. This is making a lot of sense. Um, you know, and just getting re, you know, in in that sense of realignment and knowing that these conversations don't have to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, and I think it, we get more comfortable with them as we have honest conversations. And, but we've, we're, we're, we've prefaced with, oh, we don't talk about this stuff, or we're supposed to do it all on our own. And I think we really have to defunct those myths of having to do everything alone and really looking at these circles as our, our village of support, you know. And yeah, so love, love, I love the village. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. And, um, and, and, Craig, I would imagine... I mean, I know when my household is out of whack and one person can make my household out of whack, I would imagine the same thing exists with dementia. When one person's out of whack, it makes everybody feel uncomfortable. So it's important for all of us to be conscious players in being authentic of how do we feel and how are we perceiving things. Do you think that that, um, 
that is even raised and more important once dementia comes into play? Yes. Um, there are certain family members and friends of mine that kind of, since I was diagnosed, they've alienated me. Um, and others have gotten closer. So it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic how people react to what, you, what your diagnosis is. I think what um, Carol's saying is very important in the scope of getting everyone involved that can be involved because I think more times than not, it's always one person that's usually, usually the caregiver. Um, for instance, with my mom right now, she's um, facing brain surgery on a tumor, and my sister's been taking care of most of all the details. On Tuesday, we're having a meeting with the doctors, and um, all the family members are going to be there, all the siblings. So we're all involved. And she's, my sister's trying to get everybody involved more, so so the burden isn't all on her. So I think the, the program that she's talking about is very, very important to get everybody involved in it. Mm-hmm. It just reduces so much stress when we can have these honest conversations because... I think the one thing in families is um, a lot of times it gets pushed off onto one person and that one person is seen as kind of the the um, one who gets the job done, kind of the fix-it person in the family. But then there can be um, some build-up resentment that people don't even know what's going on. And they're like, well, she's all of a sudden now that person's a control freak and they're not letting us in and they're not communicating but yet the door has kind of been shut saying, well, I don't really want to deal with all the emotions of this, so you just handle it. And and then things get really messy instead of just having these conversations and being open and honest on all levels. And if somebody says, I, I can't do that <clears throat> or I'm not comfortable doing that, I think we have to listen to that. So, um, And I'll give an example of your three circles. You might have the care partner who is really overwhelmed because they're doing the cooking, the cleaning, the bathing, the whole nine yards, and then somebody comes in and says, well, you can give you can give dad a bath. And maybe his daughter's really not comfortable with that. And I think we have to respect that because if the daughter's not comfortable assisting in that type of task, it's going to make the person with dementia uncomfortable, and it's going to have that ripple effect. And so if she's more comfortable doing cooking or cleaning or financing, maybe that's a better position to put her in. So I think we have to take those things into consideration as well. Absolutely. And that, uh, it sounds like Craig, that you have a circle that's very full with that. Uh, in the family situation you just described, there is one family member who has a very full circle and, and bringing the whole family together to recognize that you're almost doing your own small share mini conference there. So good luck with that. That could be very fruitful for your family. It's great. Yeah, I think it's going to work out really well. Now, um, Dr. Whitletch, does SHARE provide, because some families um, can't do this on their own. They just they just can't. You know, some families are more dysfunctional than others. Does, does SHARE um, have the ability to provide any mediation if a family would need it to get through this process and, and kind of get their circles in balance? So not in the in the pure sense of mediation. No, there's not a mediating person. There's not a trained mediator that can come in. Share share has does have a few things that it can't really uh, address, and that one is mediation. 
We also don't address long family disputes or uh, we, we, it's very hard to work with a family, family who has uh, people who are having, like I said, long-term family disputes or other sorts of psychosocial types of barriers that make it hard for them to be a part of this process. So we, we're not, every, unfortunately, we can't do everything. Um, but no, we don't have it. any meetings. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry, that's a hard one. I know it'd be something to add. It's something we could think about, but at this point, we don't have that. But we have, we almost have mediation light a little bit because these are trained counselors, mm-hmm. and and they do a, they do a great job. And when that family gets together, it's important to have a trained person there in case something kind of starts going in a bad direction. So yep. again, not not mediation in that pure definition but against or mediation light okay well and that's that's nice to know are they able to refer somebody to that level if that's what they need or or do you not get into exactly right yep exactly right we have a lot of referrals sometimes people need psychosocial like some types of therapy Mm -hmm. they might need a therapist to talk about old things or you know all kinds of different things but we do a lot of referral as well as we make sure that the family as well as both the person with the illness and um, their caregiver have enough education about this illness so they know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know what to expect, you get you, you you just don't know what to do, and you just don't know what 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 which way is what. You don't know how to help yourself. You don't know how to help each other. So really understanding that disease, what to expect next, next is very important, and we have that as part of the share intervention as well. Okay, so for our listeners, what area of the country um, <clears throat> do you work out of with the Benjamin Rose Institute on Aging? We have um, a share site here at Benjamin Rose. We have um, some research going on that's trying to adapt share now for dementia for a larger group of chronic conditions, not not just dementia, but like like you said, Lori, that this is a, a, a good intervention that could be helpful to other families. So we're looking at larger chronic illness people mm-hmm. as well. Um, we have a, at our Alzheimer's chapter here in Cleveland, we have the share program available. Um, there's other chap- other places that we have it as well. Probably the best thing to do is to tell is, is, a, is a listener to contact share at benrose.org um, to get information, to ask for some help, maybe to get a referral. We have some uh, other sites as well that we can refer people to, but mainly it's in Ohio at this point. Although I have to say, um, there is some share going on in Australia, and I don't think listeners probably have that. Although you never know, um, we do have some work there being done as well as in the Netherlands. So. Okay. A little bit of share here and a little bit there, but more and more people getting help, even if they're from a different country. Okay, and we do have yeah. international yeah, listeners, so <clears throat> so that's great yeah. to know. It, it yeah, would, share again. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Yeah, it would be it would be wonderful if this could be in every state, um, and and expand uh, through <clears throat> through collaboration. That would be so 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 neat um or yeah. or through the, the kind of the video conference um when people meet um is it is it this a is this a group or is it just the the care partner and and the person with dementia themselves or is mainly it... that's that's yeah that's that's the design of it with the addition of that family meeting which yes it's just for that person with dementia and their family caregiver yeah and just to uh, reiterate too, we, if if someone does get a hold of us at share at org, we can talk more about where they're from mm-hmm. and see if there's a site near there. We don't have a lot of sites yet. We've just started commercializing in the last year, so we're just starting to get more sites involved, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Really great news to have people getting helped more throughout the country. Okay, because yeah, if it's if it's just uh, if it's just the two and the counselor. Um, 
like I said, I would highly recommend the the video conferencing um, because those, you know, if you use something like a Zoom platform, which is a very inexpensive, those can be recorded so they can go back and watch them, you know, and um, look through, go, okay, now what were we supposed to do? And um, it would just be a really easy platform for people um, <clears throat> to be able to use and you can, you know, you can share forms and and I think the dementia community at large is getting so used to the video conferencing. They're really, most of them are very, very comfortable with it. It's also another nice way to introduce video conferencing and video engagement as the disease progresses. It's a way to pull in care partners that thought they were long distance and couldn't have that type of interaction. And so um, I, I think there's... Um, there's a lot to be said in terms of that platform even just being a teaching tool in and of itself in terms of how we communicate and our, the power of our ability to communicate. And I'll just give you a quick example of myself. I didn't realize, I knew the power in terms of the support groups and everything, but as a care partner, I didn't understand the power of using video conferencing. And so um, when my mom was actively dying, <clears throat> I actually had a couple of keynotes in in another state, so I was in Arizona. And my daughter had called, and I had prepared myself just to talk to her by phone, even though I knew she was pretty much in a coma-type state. And my daughter said, well, how about if we video conference? And I got to participate in her act of dying, even though I was out of state, throughout the whole process. And it was incredible from you know, helping my family identify what her needs were um, in terms of getting chips of water or um, cool rags or whatever it was at the at the moment, being able to talk with, with family members, being able to participate in last rites, um, the, the whole thing, and being able to talk with my mom and actually seeing her. And I think, you know, I, I don't think we understand the power of video and how it can be used to help families because I... For me, um, like I said, I, I had to be away, and yet I was comfortable with that because my mom had told me that <clears throat> she needed to know that I would continue my work, um, but yet it was such a huge life lesson of that power of connection, of something that I, I didn't even cross my mind, and I'm in the industry, and I use it all the time, but how it satisfied me as a daughter and and I think really relieved my siblings because they were really worried that I was going to miss out and have great regrets, that we were still all connected. And so that's my two cents on video conferencing. But I think that what you're doing could raise awareness of that even more in, in the simplicity of using it um, to boot with that. So, um, Craig, anything you want to add on that? I was just going to ask if, what do you do with the, what does Carol or her counselors do with a person that doesn't um, want to participate at all? Um, uh, like a family member, Craig, do you mean who doesn't want to participate in the care or in the, the whole family experience? Right. That's very, that's very hard. Yeah, very hard. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wonder if there's a way of encouraging them because um, my one brother, for instance, um, isn't very motivated as far as being a caregiver for my mom. So I was wondering if you had any thought that we could do to help 
help get him encouraged more to be more more of a part of the the network. It's very hard, and share has its challenges as well, trying to get those family members involved. So there's no, unfortunately, there's no answer for all those family members who can't or are unwilling to be involved. Share just, you know, does its best to try to get those who can. Sometimes what we see is those who don't want to be involved. Once they see what's going on, they hear other family members talking about it. Then they kind of scooch in a little bit, but that's not always the case. Sometimes they're just family members who you really just can't engage. And best to, sadly, but you know, really the reality of it is to kind of move on and see if they'll catch up. Um, if not, you know, make sure that whoever's being cared for gets the best care possible and that family caregiver isn't experiencing any extra stress. It's hard, easy for me to say it now, but we've had families in those situations. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like um, someone who is an alcoholic or addicted to drugs. They're not going to change till they're ready. You know, or someone who needs to lose weight or, I mean, the list, we can go on and on and on and on of things that we think, you know, people should be different. And I think one of the best things we can do is lead by example, accept where they are and, and hope and pray that they get it because they're missing out on an awful lot. Um, But, you know, you can't, you can't make somebody change who doesn't want to with that. So I think the gift there in terms of life lesson is learning to let go of that because it can um, it can destroy a whole family trying to fix one person and get them on board. And it distracts from you being able to give true, authentic, person-centered care to the one who you're gathering for and really sidetrack. And, and we can lose sight of that, I think, very, very easily as families sometimes. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dr. Whitletch, anything else that you want to add about your, your program share? One thing I want to add, Lori, just, I just want to go back to your comments about the video conferencing and the zoom and even, uh, Skype. Um, I, such a great idea. It's definitely something that we want to put our sights to and you're, you'd be such a great advocate for it. Maybe we'll have to get you a letter of support from you to our next grant because it'd be great to write a grant on this and have your involvement because I'm sure there's someone out there who would love to fund something like that. There's oh. such great potential. So thanks for giving us that great encouragement. Oh, I'd, I'd love to write a letter. I do. I do a lot of that for people. <laughs> so, so feel That's free to great. shoot That's something great. to me. Yeah, that. it's really good. Um, so I guess the last thing for share is just um, last thing I'm thinking about is that you know, to make sure families know that they're not alone, caregivers and persons with illness, they're not alone. Um, just to really remember that with all those, with all that information on what, someone values and what they prefer for their care. Um, it's a lesson to ask for and accept help, both the person who's got the illness and the person who's caring for them. You know, ask for help and accept it when you get it. And if it's not quite working right, see if you can adjust it. But, you know, be out there. Lori, what you started with this, this, more, this for today was about the stigma of all these illnesses. And if people would ask for help and get people more involved, there'd be so much less stigma. The stigma is such a barrier to moving forward in your personal relationships. It's just something we need to really, really focus on. And finally, just make sure that everyone, the caregiver especially, takes care of themselves. So for the caregivers out there who are listening, take good care of yourself. Everyone deserves to be healthy and well and to recognize the hardships, but also the, the real gains that people get from this experiences. So many people talk about how much they've lived, learned from their experience of a, as a caregiver and what the relationship with their relatives really was quite nice. 
So again, just take care of yourself and don't be afraid to do that. Great. So. And now the, the best way to reach out to you would be at benrose.org forward slash share. That's benrose.org forward slash share. Um, or is there a number that they can call you? There's a number for the share generally, the share line that uh, where we're looking, you know, looking at helping customers, seeing if people want to buy this for their organization. Now at the benrose.org, just call our, uh, sorry, just our general web website, benrose.org. Okay, sounds good. And can you, um, are you comfortable telling us what the price is for the program? Um, the price right now is for $3,500 for one license. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, so, so, if, you know, if, like you're in an Alzheimer's association or you are in a uh, uh, AAA, Area Agency on Aging, we also have private people doing this as well. They, that's how much their initial cost would be, $3,500. Okay. And then there's re- renewal, fee- renewal fees that are much less than that over the course of the years that someone might be using it. Okay. Well, wonderful. That would be, um, I would really encourage everybody to start writing their grants for a program like this. I think it would be very, very helpful um, <clears throat> to be, to be part of that. So, well, I thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us today, Doc, Dr. Wicklatch. Um, Craig, any last comments that you have? Um, I, I like the fact that she was saying that you have to ask ask people because a lot of times people aren't aware of what they're capable of doing. That's right. So you ask in my, in my oh. church, especially we have, if we need something is a certain person out there, if you just ask them, they're willing to do it. But it's, so it's, it's important to ask the question um, of people. Wonderful. That's right. People want Many people really do want to help and take and help give care. And we don't give them that opportunity. So it's, you know, something we should be doing. Yep. Thanks, Craig. Yep. It's all about sharing information so people even know that it's out there to grab and, and to engage. And, and um, that's really, you know, what got us started here with Alzheimer's Speaks was feeling the lack of connection um, to services, products, and tools and events that are out there. And so we're we're honored that you both we're able to spend time with us today and um, discuss the SHARE program. Again, that is about support, health, activities, resources, and education um, and um, getting some wonderful tools to to go through this process. So, again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Whitlatch. Really appreciate it. And Craig Hankey for being my co-host today. Um, in wrap- Lori, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lori, for inviting me. I really, it's been a lot of fun and very informative. Great. Great. Well, thank you. Um, in wrapping up, I just want to give a shout out to Leading Age Washington, where I was just out and did their keynote on purpose and and passion, which was really fun for me to kind of look back at what I've done and how I got here and, and figure out that it really did all make sense of, of how I landed in this space. Also, it was such an honor to be one of the panelists for Maria Shriver's Move for Minds, um, which I would um, hope you all participate in next year's fabulous, fabulous event in eight different cities. And she's looking at growing that even more next year. <clears throat> I also, at Alzheimer's Speaks, we put together a trifold of helpful tips when dealing with dementia. And I would um, encourage you to visit our blog or our website and go ahead and request to get one of those. We'll be more than glad to send you a PDF um, of our tips uh, that you can go ahead and use. 
This fall, again, November 11th through the 18th, we're going to be doing a cruise to the Caribbean, and we'd love for you to join us. We've put together a fabulous team. Uh, Cindy Lazinski um, from Northern Colorado, who is um, working with their dementia-friendly group there. Um, Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, and then we have Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear and Mary Reed, who all have dementia. All of us will be involved in the symposium over the seven days where we're hoping people will be able to relax, rejuvenate, and learn a lot. And the cruise is for people with early to mid-memory loss and their families, so you are all welcome to join us. Um, you're going to want to book sooner than later because November is coming up, plus there's some great pricing that is available right now as well. As far as Alzheimer's Speaks Radio goes, we've been doing this for six years, so we have lots of archived programs. So feel free to go back and take a peek at those. If you are new to our Alive and Social Network, you might want to check out uh, What's for Dinner Tonight with Rachel Perrin, who is the culinary director for Kowalski's Markets. Um, <clears throat> there, They talk about um, all things for hungry listeners and can help you figure out what's for dinner tonight. I do have an upcoming preview of His Neighbor Phil, which will be happen- happening July 18th at Bell Ray Senior Living in Moundsview. And if you're interested in attending, you can just RSVP to them directly at 763-784-7633. You can also go to the blog and um, read some of our, our recent posts on that as well. Um, last couple of shout outs, uh, to, uh, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, who is doing a brain longevity therapy training. I would highly encourage you to check that out. Again, that's the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, and you can just go to, uh, their URL at alzheimersprevention.org forward slash training, alzheimersprevention.org forward slash training. Thank you all uh, for listening and please share this episode. Have a wonderful week. Bye now. Hi everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great quick motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.